sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. There is a large cross in the middle of a Maryland state highway that, according to the Supreme Court, is going to stay there. The Bladensburg, Maryland cross case was decided very recently by the Supreme Court. You've probably heard about it some. My guest today to talk about this very interesting case is an old friend, an appellate attorney with a specialty in First Amendment law, Jane Gordon. Welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan, and thank you for inviting me into the discussion. So, you know, you and I have talked about Establishment Clause issues in the past, and this really is an Establishment Clause case. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Uh, but let's start, if you would set up the story, what is with this cross? Where is it? What does it look like? And let's make sure we keep our listeners up to up to the story. Sure. It's a great story. It started after World War One, when the residents of Prince George's County in Maryland decided to honor the men who had served in World War One, local men, by erecting a memorial for them. And they decided that the memorial should be a cross. And so uh, they actually ran out of money before the project was finished. And the American Legion uh, took it on, finished the memorial in 1925, um, and it honors 49 county soldiers who had fallen in the war. And at the dedication ceremony, a Catholic priest offered an invocation and a Baptist pastor offered a benediction. And since that time, the Blandensburg Cross has stood at that intersection as it has changed throughout the years. And now it is at the center of a busy intersection. And in 1961, the care for it was taken over by a Maryland government commission, which began using public funds to maintain a monument, and that continues to this day. And so it was challenged on establishment clause grounds by an organization that, that objected to such a religious symbol being maintained by the government, right? That's right. The American Humanist Association brought a lawsuit to challenge the government's support of this cross. And they lost in the first round. They won in the second round appeal. And ultimately, they lost in the U.S. Supreme Court in February. Um, it, the decision was a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and barely, Justice Alito wrote it, he barely got enough justices to sign on to make it what's called a plurality decision by us legal folks. But what it means basically is he got five justices to agree with him, but they didn't sign on to all parts of his decision. And then two of the justices, Justices Thomas and Gorsuch, 
didn't like the what Alito said at all, and they just signed on in the judgment. So he ekes by and got enough people to go with him to get a plurality decision, but it's such a mishmash of reasoning that it's going to take some time to actually figure out what impact it's going to have going forward. So most of the people I had talked to, court watchers, religious liberty folks, uh, the you know the conventional wisdom was the court was going to let this thing stand. It's been there a long time. They're not going to upset the apple cart. And sure enough, you know it's there. But the court really did not seem to take the establishment clause issues very seriously, or they managed to overcome any any objections to government funding this very large religious symbol. Um, What was some of the reasoning and how they managed to say, well, this is okay? Well, I'm going to begin with a little inside the ballpark stuff. This was actually a showdown over a longstanding legal analysis called the Lemon Test, which up until this decision had pretty much guided the legal analysis for whether or not something violated the Establishment Clause. And a key aspect of Lemon was rested on this notion of what is called the reasonable person, which is a legal fiction that says, well, if something offends a reasonable person, that's supposed to be a stand-in for a typical ordinary person, then we have to maybe find a violation of the Establishment Clause. This decision primarily throws that out. It basically was the death of Lemon, which was a long time coming, and not even the dissent was willing to go to the mat for Lemon. So what the court did instead is that it rested its reasoning on the fact that this was a piece of history more than it was a Christian cross. Ah, and see, that's where, as a Christian myself, I'm very disturbed when the courts and the legal system minimize the sacredness of these religious symbols. They've done it in the Ten Commandments cases, and they're doing it here. They're saying, well, a cross is a religious symbol, but it's really a historical marker, and it commemorates the dead, so it's not just religious. And when you take something religious and you make it secular, we call that a desecration. And that troubles me. Well, and for good reason, because for many people, even if the court goes down that route, for many people, it will always be a symbol of Christianity, the singular symbol of Christianity. And that's the problem here. Because if you do not worship Christ, if that is not your religious symbol, you're an outsider. You are not an insider. And the court's decision really doesn't address that at all. And here's something else that I found really interesting, Alan, because I did a little research. When this monument was erected, the population of the United States and the population of Maryland was overwhelmingly white. We had none of the diversity 
that we experience and enjoy now in this country. And when the court discussed the historical context, they left all of that out. They made no acknowledgement of the times. And let's remember, this is right after World War One. Mm-hmm. The country was pressing against the waves of immigration. They were limiting immigration, restricting right. it. And immigrants were living in ghettos. The Jewish ghetto on the Lower East Side was in full force mm-hmm. at this time. So you had no diversity of religion, no diversity of uh, race, of national origin, Um And if you're going to do an honest analysis of the history and rest your decision on that, then fully explore the history and put it in its correct context. Because to read this decision, one would think, well, you know, the cross was a well-accepted symbol of death on the battlefield, and that's what it stood for and nothing more, even though it really all acknowledge it was a cross. But that decision was made by a homogeneous group, probably of men, um, probably Christian mm-hmm. men. And you can't mm-hmm. escape that. Well, what I hear you saying is that One's perspective on this shifts dramatically. If you're Christian, you think, oh, well, it's no big deal. You know, it's uh, it's a war memorial. And if you're not Christian, you look at this and it's like 65 feet tall. It's a big thing. It's not a little thing that you can avoid. It's in your face if you happen to be going through that area. Um, and if you're not a Christian, it's a reminder that you're not part of the power. You're not part of the dominant inside group. You're an outsider. And Alan, the Establishment Clause is intended to address that, that the power of the majority will not silence the minority. Um, Well, it does more than that. It's supposed to make it so that people of all faiths are equal in the eyes of the law. Or no faith at all. Exactly. Or no faith at all. That regardless of religious belief, we're all just American. And we have a level playing field here. We should. But in the history of our country, the accoutrements of Christianity are so ingrained in our society, whether it's the Christmas decorations in the winter Mm -hmm. or um, this cross, that I think, and I'm not Christian, so. I'm just projecting here. I think that Christians are very, very comfortable being surrounded by symbols of Christianity. They don't possibly appreciate what impact it has on someone who hasn't, who doesn't practice Christianity. I know myself personally was raised Jewish. I grew up in a school where we sang Christmas carols that uh, were about the baby Jesus. And I have very vivid memories of choking on those words because Jews have a long, long history of people trying to convert us from Judaism. Mm -hmm. And so it's a trigger for me in many ways, personally, um, that I am surrounded by... um, Christianity. 
that is accepted you know, I heard of the social fabric. I heard a prominent civil rights lawyer many years ago put it this way. If America is the Christian's house, then we Jews have no right to complain about, you know, the crosses and what have you. But, you know, if America is a home that belongs to all of us, then we do have a right to complain. You can't just make this a place of Christian symbolism. And I think for a lot of Christians, you know, you're right. It's very comfortable and it helps to reinforce the, the fallacy that America is a Christian nation, which was not established to be, at least in a formal sense. It may be a nation where many of us are Christians, but it's not officially or formally recognized as such. And the makeup of the country is entirely different than it was when okay. this cross was erected. We're out of time, Jane. We've been talking with Jane Gordon, a First Amendment attorney, about the Supreme Court's decision in the Bladensburg Cross case. This has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you for having me, Alan. And all, never enough time. As we close, remember, friends, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate.org. And don't forget, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rock. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. Freedom Ring.